Welcome to the HR Chat Show, one of the world's most downloaded and shared podcasts designed for HR pros, talent execs, tech enthusiasts, and business leaders. For hundreds more episodes and what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And joining me on this episode, returning to the show, in fact, is the awesome, fantastic, wonderful, fabulous Matt Charney, talent acquisition community leader over at HR.com and former executive editor at Recruiting Daily. Uh, I'm a big fan of Matt, listeners. Not only is he a leading global expert and influencer in the talent and tech space, but he's also a very enthusiastic, warm and authentic chap. Um, so I love Matt. I'm super glad that he's back on the show. Matt is one of the top experts in the world when it comes to talent and tech. He has extensive experience within the recruiting and HR tech industries with nearly 20 years of marketing leadership experience at global talent organizations such as Monster Worldwide, Cornerstone On Demand and various others. Uh, Matt's, Matt's been there and done it. Uh, he began his career in corporate talent acquisition as a sourcer and recruiter for companies such as Warner Bros and the Walt Disney Company. There we go. He really has had an amazing career. Matt, welcome back to the show, buddy. Bill, thank you for having me. I need to start having you do all my introductions. You're a heck of a hype man. <laughs> well, I meant every word. I've got so much respect for you, Matt, and the content that you produce. And uh, it, it's my honor to have you back on the show. Well, thanks again for having me. And I look forward to our conversation. Why don't you start, Matt, by taking a minute or two and uh, and beyond my reintroduction there, just telling our listeners a bit more about yourself and what you get up to. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, as, as Bill said, my name is Matt Charney, and I have the very long title of Talent Acquisition Community Leader at HR.com. And um, essentially what I do in that role is uh, I'm responsible for everything kind of related to talent acquisition uh, within HR.com. So we're a community of about 2 million members. Uh, it's about 800,000 uh, or so of those are in talent acquisition. So uh, most of my time is spent uh, engaging with members of our community uh, around the topics in TA that are important to them, doing primary research, um, and then also doing uh, monthly research reports uh, on uh, any given topic in TA from college hiring to high volume to uh, future of talent technology. Also am responsible for editing uh, our monthly magazine, which is Talent Acquisition Excellence. And beyond that, um, just making uh, as many uh, appearances like this as I possibly can. So really just staying in touch with uh, what's going on, what matters, uh, and what's next in the world of TA and technology. If you're enjoying this episode of the HR Chat Show by HR Gazette, why not subscribe and get the latest episodes delivered straight to you several times each week? And remember, for the latest articles and interviews related to what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com. Okay, tell us a bit more about Talent Acquisition Excellence magazine then. You said that you edit that once a month. Talk to us a bit about what the content is and what folks can expect if they subscribe. Yeah, and I would definitely encourage everyone to subscribe. So essentially what we do is um, it, it's a it's a it's a fully online magazine that can be consumed either as a, through an EPUB, uh, downloaded in PDF, and it goes out monthly. And every month we really take a different theme um, that is aligned with our research. So, for example, last month uh, we unveiled our future of talent acquisition 
um, survey. So uh, the magazine obviously runs through some of that data. Um, and then also we have uh, you know, content from a number of leaders in TA, as well as vendors who are uh, you know, active in the space, um, just kind of contributing their, their non-sponsored uh, thoughts uh, about the topic. So, so it's very themed and um, just takes a look at uh, you know, whatever that topic on our EdCal may be from a bunch of different angles. So uh, hopefully once you read the publication, um, you're good to go in terms of uh, firehousing knowledge on whatever that particular topic may be. So I think we do a really good job of, of providing an overview and then perspectives on the big issues in talent. This episode of the HR Chat Podcast is sponsored by Access Perks, America's largest and HR-friendliest employee discount program. At Access Perks, we help workers stretch their paychecks by hundreds, even thousands of dollars on food, clothing, auto repair, travel, family fun, and a lot more. With over a million providers to choose from, no other employee discount program comes close to delivering more savings in more communities throughout America. Request your free trial membership today at accessperks.com slash hrchat. That's accessperks.com slash hrchat. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Uh, a huge issue in talent is how hiring has changed over the last few years. Maybe maybe you can take a couple of minutes now and uh, tell us a bit about that. And, and also as part of your answer, how have processes changed as a result of the pandemic and remote hiring? Yeah, so I don't know that mechanically or process-wise, you've seen a tremendous change in hiring over the past few years. I think that um, there have been certain things that have become pretty well codified. Um, for example, diversity and inclusion, is obviously sort of become an integral part of how hiring is assessed. We also have seen a little bit of incursion in, in things like uh, recruitment process automation, which for some unexplained reason, we're still referring to as AI. And that's things like scheduling and uh, stack ranking of candidates and just some of the more tactical stuff. But I think uh, what's really changed the most uh, since the, the recession is um, we've seen essentially two cycles that were imminently predictable happen with extreme rapidity. And that is when the pandemic first started, uh, recruiters obviously uh, have a tendency of kind of being first in, first out. Um, so as companies started putting jobs on hold and there was you know, a tremendous amount of uncertainty, uh, we saw you know, uh, essentially, according to BLS in the United States alone, around 2 million recruiters lose their jobs. Um, of course, what then ended up happening was a pretty big scramble uh, to refill those recruiting jobs once, obviously, the, quote, great resignation started and we got back to what is technically full employment. So what you're starting to see, in, in my opinion, are uh, a little less experienced recruiters who are starting to enter the profession. So you have a very bottom heavy profession right now of people who have entered um, just within the last year, year and a half. Uh, and you've also seen much more of a move to um, skills-based hiring as well as internal mobility uh, among companies. So in the past, uh, I, I think what happened uh, quite a bit was companies would create a job. First thing that they would do would be automatically post it and then start reinventing the wheel when it comes to sourcing and presenting candidates. Now you're definitely seeing a, a much more a kind of critical focus on advertising and marketing those positions uh, internally. 
um, to not only be able to figure out who in an organization could potentially fill a role, both to cut down on attrition and then also to, um, you know, uh, enhance engagement a little bit, both of which are outcomes of that, uh, but also to, to more actively generate referrals and uh, to kind of demonstrate that an organization is a little bit more than uh, a place to take a job or a role, uh, but rather it's a place to grow your career. And, and part and parcel with that, uh, I think we're really starting to see companies taking a, a build versus buy approach. And that is hiring people who might not fit uh, every individual requirement on a requisition or, you know, essentially be willing to take a lateral move from one job in the same industry to another job at another company for a bit more pay and really focusing on developing skills and career paths in order to help those people kind of grow uh, within the company and um, and, and stay there and, and grow their careers there. So um, in the absence of what used to be highly a culture fit, so yeah, this person is a good fit for this group at this time, um, which is always a little ambiguous. Now you're seeing people much more leaning towards, towards skills assessment. So I think that's probably the biggest change really the, that we've seen in terms of talent acquisition. Um, and, and I would say that sort of the final thing is that we um, are currently seeing a bifurcation of the way talent acquisition is done uh, in between what uh, the, the uh, pandemic kind of defined as, as essential uh, and non-essential workers. So you're seeing a huge, huge demand in high volume, low skill, high turnover hiring for industries like hospitality and retail. Uh, warehouses, certainly another huge category, and you're seeing a lot less emphasis and demand on the highly skilled jobs that we're more used to in recruiting, things like software engineers or, or executive search. Those are no longer, I would say, the hottest areas. Uh, it's definitely more towards the, um, towards the uh, essential workers, and that's a pretty big change just because uh, high volume and, and knowledge workers uh, are completely different in both you know, uh, strategy and, and tactics. So I think those are sort of what we're seeing uh, on the market today. Awesome, thank you very much. Okay, so you spoke a bit there about uh, the, the move towards skills-based hiring over the last couple of years. And you said that that perhaps was uh, in replacement to uh, thinking more about culture fits. So is, is there no place now for assessments and, and um, processes during the hiring process to understand if someone is, is a good fit culturally with the mission of the company? Is that, is that just not important anymore? Well, so I think that the way that we're defining culture has changed quite a bit. And so I don't know that we've really gotten a, a huge handle uh, on what the new paradigm uh, of culture is, for kind of lack of a better term. It used to be very emphasized on physical location. So uh, I always would laugh when I look at uh, employer branding collateral tech companies in the Bay Area, because it was essentially the exact same uh, with, you know, some slight variations like these conference rooms of these naming conventions. We have this type of beer in our kegerator. Um, but now that work is no longer really a place that you go, but a thing that you do, um, corporate culture does have a place, but it's much more dynamic and it's less monolithic. So uh, it, it's sort of dynamic in terms of the way that, that you know, uh, work styles uh, and, and teams and roles are much bigger determinants than a physical environment. So I do think that there is certainly uh, an area for culture, but that is much more in how work gets done than where work gets done. And it's also being seen much more um, in terms of relationships 
and, and work styles than really anything else. So I do think that there is still uh, room for like personality fits and assessments, but much less so than probably was uh, emphasized in the past. We're really starting to see those replaced, and rightfully so, with uh, you know much more traditional hard skills uh, sort of assessments, as well as um, using some of those softer skill assessments, less to predict fit and more to predict uh, propensity to succeed um, across a variety of different you know. Uh, characteristics as opposed to just kind of zeroing in on on what was more or less casting, which is how well would this person fit into this role at this time. One interesting thing that you said there was uh, uh, that work is uh, is now a thing that you do. It's no longer a, a place that you go. Um, okay, so you've got huge numbers of, of employees in many, many sectors who at a max goes to their office twice a week, maybe much less than that. Okay. Well, what, what does that, what does that do to company culture, Matt? What, what does that do for um, HR leaders and other leaders who are try, trying to um, sustain that sense of, of a company culture and engage with their employees? What, what are those additional challenges when you're trying to do that, but you're not physically together? Well, I mean, so obviously there are a lot of challenges, and I think they're they're less related to talent acquisition um, than they are related to talent management when it comes to growing a culture. So from a talent acquisition side, what you're seeing is actually a boon, in my mind, to recruitment, and that is companies that were sort of less likely to be able to compete on, you know, things like having a really nice class A office and all of these, you know, on-site benefits, uh, which largely were essentially designed to keep people at the office for as long as possible or not leaving, which is why you'd see things like childcare and dry cleaning and all those perks offered. It was so people wouldn't leave the office. But now that people are um, looking largely for remote roles, and so I saw uh, a statistic recently from LinkedIn that said, uh, at least on that site, that uh, about 20% of the positions uh, that are advertised are remote, but those generate 50% of the applications. I think that companies, just by making that small change uh, to a hybrid or completely dispersed re- uh, work model, what they're seeing is uh, an expanded talent pool. Um, they're seeing the ability to compete based off of things that are much cheaper, which is, you know, um, things like uh, paid time off policies, things like uh, the physical equipment you get, um, things like uh, the internal communications tools that you use. Those are really sort of becoming um, the the thing that uh, defines culture. Again, our daily interactions rather than um, sort of like a company line. And so I think that, that in as much as culture is being defined, uh, the biggest part of that is now being driven by policy rather than program. So a company that commits to uh, basically like a results-only work environment, for example, which is you can work anywhere, anytime, uh, as long as the outcome's there uh, and and will give you full autonomy on how you do your work is going to have a much different feeling of culture than a company that says, okay, even though uh, you're hybrid or remote only, we're going to be, uh, you know, holding you accountable for being on call during these times, producing these outcomes. And then it's a lot of cases, we're going to be putting a bunch of employee monitoring software on there to guarantee that if we don't even have work for you, that you're going to be working. Um, that, that kind of allows culture to define or to, you know, kind of 
become organically defined. So uh, again, I think that that is the big change is, is how the work gets done and that what the expectations and trust are that are placed in employees. Uh, I think that that is probably gonna be different for every department and every company, but certainly the biggest competitive differentiator is how much do you trust your employees and how much leeway are you willing to give them to, to drive results as opposed to conform to a company policy or culture as we often perceive it. Okay, thank you very much. So uh, next year with budgets being a wee bit tighter, uh, leaders, they, they may turn to uh, the, the, the gig economy a bit more. They, they may they may look to try and manage a more blended workforce of internal employee, employees and outside contributors, uh, a, a contingent workforce. What, what, are, what are some of the benefits and the positives of, of trying to manage a a blended workforce of, of internal employees with outside help? Well, I, I largely think that what that looks like depends on uh, the contingent workers you're bringing. You talk about the gig economy, which will, will normally be assigned to, to talent marketplaces, um, which have an inherent advantage in the fact that uh, their supply and demand are controlled in real time, meaning that uh, the rates are essentially transparent. So in the US, you have a big growing trend where companies advertising for full-time positions have to advertise what the pay range uh, for a job is. And that will often lead to a fairly tightly defined flow of candidates who, uh, much like employers, the first kind of cut out is, okay, can we afford this person or is this person good for the company? But uh, with these gig platforms, and then certainly with, uh, you know, different work arrangements, things like RPOs, uh, recruitment process outsourcing companies, uh, or PEOs, which are, you have essentially the same employer, uh, only you're getting a paycheck that's cut from a third party. Uh, so there's kind of minimal things. What you're seeing is the ability to have that transparency be bi-directional. So there's uh, more fit basically around compensation. And also the work is, uh, as we talk about results only work environment, it's much more oriented towards completing a project outcome or task. So you kind of know what they're getting for and are able to capacity plan and, and build uh, not headcount, but uh, you know, indirect spend capabilities around um, work that needs to get done rather than like positions and roles that need to get filled. So it's much more cost effective just in terms of you know being able to better align uh, work and workers. Now, there are some drawbacks to it, um, which are they generally tend to be a little bit more expensive to get those workers for those hours over the short term because you're paying a margin. Um, and then you have less control over what the company is able to, uh, to impose on those workers in terms of both hours works, things like uh, mandatory attendance of meetings, um, NDAs, non-competes and things of that nature. So, um, you know, I think what happens with that remains to be seen, but we have seen a definite shift towards, um, towards a blended workforce that precedes the pandemic. And I just think that, um, as the work arrangement changes, that's just going to become uh, a little bit more widespread, but it's going to be defined more by workers uh, than it has been, uh, you know, which is to say employers will likely hire talent uh, increasingly depending on the type of work arrangement they prefer, as opposed to imposing their preferred work arrangement and then taking a talent pool 
that is okay with that uh, with that work arrangement. So uh, it's about less what their tax statement or, or relationship with the company is, and more about their ability to complete the work that needs to be done. Matt, uh, ahead of uh, our conversation today, I was checking out what you've been up to recently. And one thing was you were at the first ever Gem Talent Summit, where you sat down with TA leaders from some of the world's biggest employers and best known brands to discuss what trends in recruiting matter to hiring and and which are just buzzwords and BS. Um, Tell us a bit about that summit. Yeah, so I was actually, I was in India at the time of that summit, which was virtual. So it was easy for me to know the future of talent acquisition for once as I was a day in the future. Um, But I thought that what was really interesting about that was um, when we were able to uh, just kind of have a conversation and and the people on the panel uh, were leaders from everything from like uh, consumer packaged goods to financial services uh, to healthcare. So very different hiring needs. But again, I thought that the thing that really came back uh, again and again was the need to emphasize on business alignment. And so uh, again, I think that what we do in talent acquisition uh, generally tends to be sort of uh, an article of faith, which is we believe what we're doing is working, but we don't have any proof to needing to really be able to build a business case that's not activity-based. So we made this out this many outgoing calls, we had this many interviews accepted, uh, we had you know this percentage of offers, so very transactional sort of statistics and looking much more at how uh, you know data and intelligence can align with, with existing business processes in the bottom line. Um, what I also think is important is there seems to be less of an emphasis on new technologies and more of an emphasis on building better integrations and technology stacks. So less about the next new shiny thing or, or in a lot of cases chasing trends and more on how does this work? How can I demonstrate ROI and how do I get more value out of the systems I have to extend and augment rather than replace them? So I think those were sort of the big trends. Um, and we all agreed that ultimately uh, the companies that are going to win, it's going to be less about things like perception of market employer brand or even compensation and much more on the building and sustaining of long-term meaningful relationships, um, both inside and outside the company. Excellent. And just finally, Matt, how can listeners connect with you and learn more about what you get up to? Sure. So the best way is on Twitter, uh, assuming that after Elon's acquisition, anyone's still using it, and that's at Matt Charney, uh, or obviously connect with me on LinkedIn or send me an email, mcharney at hr.com. Pretty easy. Pretty easy indeed. Okay, well, that just leaves me to say for today, Matt Choney, you wonderful, fantastic human being. Thank you very much for returning (laughs) to the HR Chat Show. Thank you. I appreciate it and I look forward to hopefully being on again. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to the HR Chat Show. If you enjoyed this episode, Why not subscribe and listen to some of the hundreds of episodes published by HR Gazette? And remember, for what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com.